All right, well, um, welcome everybody. It's great to it's great to see you all, and especially to see people in their um, their different shelters. If you are able to build one, um, as you can see, we've gone for the the rustic outdoor outdoor shelter, as have the courtesy of the Saxtons. Yes, the Saxtons, and over there, and the Ashes. Uh, we've all, you know, got our supplies from Jeremy and Allison's garden. Um, so you might be wondering. Why are we doing this whole shelter thing? It's um, you know, it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit quirky. I mean, it's fun, but but really, what's the point? It's a, and uh, you know, is is it worth going to all this effort for um for this one this one day this one time of the year? Now, as many of you might know, Andrew and I lived overseas for twelve years. We were we were in Kazakhstan for twelve years. And it was an amazing experience. And over those years, we saw God do lots and lots of different things. You know, there are a few times when we were in some really quite dangerous situations and we saw God rescue us and protect us in a way um, that nothing else, no one else could have. Um, we, you know, we saw God provide for us financially and practically in ways that were just purely miraculous. We saw God connect us with people at just the right time. You know, we saw people's lives, really broken lives, transformed. We saw prayers answered in ways that were just so specific and so, um, you know, so real that it was it was mind blowing. And you know, part of the reason that we we had this amazing experience of seeing God do all these incredible things was that life was really difficult there. Like we just didn't have a lot of resources. We didn't have the means to fix things for ourselves and to solve our problems for ourselves. And so we really had to rely on God and really had to trust God. And it, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, it was, I mean, it was also stressful, very stressful at times. But overall, as I look back, I'm so grateful for those experiences and for us getting to see God come through and rescue us in incredible ways. Um, now, we've been back in Australia for more than eight years now. And in some ways, Kazakhstan feels like, it feels like another life. And in fact, at times it, we sort of say to each other, did that actually, did that happen? You know, do we, do we really do that? Because it feels so far removed from life here. You know, here we can so easily fix many of our problems and challenges for ourselves. And at times I find myself starting to forget about some of the incredible things God did. And another challenge is, you know, when we left Kazakhstan, our kids were only one and three. And so they really have no memory or very little memory of all of that time there. And one of it's a bit of a sad thing for us, actually, that our kids don't share that history with us of seeing all the different things that God did for us. And, you know, I think a challenge for all of us, for everybody, whether you've been to Kazakhstan or not, is, you know, how do we make sure that we don't forget what we've seen God do in the past? You know, life moves on really quickly. Even when you have seen, had seasons where God did amazing things for you, it's amazing how fast life moves on from that and suddenly you're absorbed in the details of, of you know, the little things that are going on around you right now. You know, how do, we, how do we remember our history with God? 
Well, for the people of Israel, this was a real challenge too. So, I mean, as everybody would know, their story was that they had been slaves in Egypt and they had seen God do the most wild things to rescue them out of that slavery and bring them out. You know, he turned the River Nile into blood. He sent plagues of hail and frogs and flies and gnats. He made it dark where the Israelite, where the Egyptians were and light where the Israelites were. They had that, that night where, where the firstborn child of every family in all of Egypt died except for the families where they had painted the blood of the lamb over the door. They saw God part the Red Sea for them and then saw the whole Egyptian army destroyed and drowned by that same sea. They saw God in a physical form as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, literally leading them through the wilderness. They saw him provide them with manna, you know, just bread that just appeared on the ground. They saw water come out of a rock to quench their thirst. They saw flocks of, of quail just come in and just park themselves on the ground around the camp so that they could be eaten. Um, and they saw God protect them in, in so many ways from lots of, of dangers from other nations that wanted to attack them. And then finally, they saw God bring them into the promised land and help them defeat armies that were much bigger, much stronger than they were. Like they just had this incredibly wild history with God doing the absolute impossible for them. But the challenge for them and then for the ongoing generations too was not to forget, was not to forget their story. They'd seen all these things, but once they were settled in the promised land and life was good and everyone had a, a vineyard and some fields and some, some herds of animals and a beautiful house, it was easy to forget all that God had brought them through to get to that place. And they also found, faced that same challenge about how do, they, how do they pass this story on to their children and their grandchildren? You know, how do they communicate to them what it was like to be rescued from slavery and to be taken through the Red Sea? To wander in the wilderness and see God literally feed you. Um, because even though the, their children and their grandchildren didn't experience those things for themselves, they were part of God's people and that story was their story too. There were stories that defined them as a nation, that gave them an identity and that told them, you know, who, who this God is that they worship. And so God, being very, very smart, um, decided that the way that he would help his people to remember was through festivals that they celebrated every year. So, and these festivals that God set up, what they were was they were, they weren't just some strange, you know, religious ritual to go through. They were these immersive experiences. Um, as I mentioned last week, you probably know of two of those. There are three big festivals that they had to celebrate by going to Jerusalem every year. You would have heard of Passover, where they remembered the first Passover in Egypt and, and the rescue out of Egypt. Uh, there was Pentecost. And then the third one, which we're celebrating today, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Shelters. And these, these festivals, they were these immersive experiences that God set up to remind the people of their story and their identity and to enable that story and identity to get passed on through the generations. 
So they weren't just a quick meal, like a, you know, and they weren't just a, a quick service at the temple. They were more like a reenactment. And so that's kind of what we're doing today. We're sort of doing this, this reenactment of the time in the wilderness that God's people lived in these temporary shelters. So I'm going to read quickly from um, Leviticus. I don't know if anyone read that during the week, but this is from Leviticus 23, and it just sort of gives you the, the bare bones of what this, what this festival was for the Jewish people. So this is Leviticus 23, verse 39 to 43. Remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival of shelters, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month after you have harvested all the produce of the land. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees, palm fronds, boughs from leafy trees and willows that grow by the streams. Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. You must observe this festival to the Lord for seven days every year. So we're getting off pretty easy just doing one, right? Should be, should be a whole seven. Uh, this is a permanent law for you and it must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation. For seven days, you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So it's meant to be a, a joyful festival of remembering the 40 years in the wilderness and all the ways that God provided for them and protected them. So really it's this incredible celebration of God's faithfulness to his people. So each family every year this time of the year, and I think we're actually a week late, it was last week, um, they would travel to Jerusalem and the first day they would have to build their shelter. So you can imagine the city of Jerusalem is just like covered with these little temporary structures everywhere that people are living in for a whole week. Now, the, the roof of the shelter, it says, is specifically meant to be um, quite loosely put together so that when you sleep in it, you can look up and see the stars and see God's faithfulness, remember God's faithfulness and God's promises. And so during that week, um, you know, they would tell stories of God's faithfulness. They would go back and revisit the story of those 40 years in the wilderness. And it was a chance for their children and grandchildren and on through all the generations to hear that story and to make it their own. So Drew, Drew or Kira, one of them, is actually going to read to us now. From, um, from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay. And I've just lost it. So I'm going to read Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 18. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may increase, so you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and, and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a disciple, his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land where wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness that thirstiness and waterless land with its venomous, venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and to test you, so that in the end you might go well with you might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's an amazing story, even just hearing the, the summary of it there and you know, as people, I think our, we're, we are prone to, to go towards pride and to think that everything we've got, oh, yeah, I did this for myself. But the truth is, like Kira was reading there, it, it, it all comes from God and we are totally, um, totally dependent on him. So, and, and you know, this, this story of, of the people of Israel, it's our story too. God has adopted us into his family and he wants us to own that story um, for ourselves and to know that he is our God, the God that did that. He is our God too. And I mean, you know, sometimes Christians say, oh, well, I haven't seen God do many miraculous things in, in my life. But, some, but, but God actually wants us to, to read the whole story of, of Scripture and to know that that is our story and that those miraculous things that God did, he can still do and he still does today. I think um, it's really important. Part of the reason we celebrate these festivals is because we need to deliberately remind ourselves. We just we just forget so easily. So what we're going to do now, the reason I asked everyone to bring pen and paper today, is we're going to take a few minutes to just write down. As, I just want you to take a few minutes to reflect over the past year um, and to just write down the different ways that you've seen God provide for you and the different ways that you've seen God protect you and care for you. It might be answers to prayer. It might be um, some way that God has looked after you or after your family. So just take that pen and paper. We're going to just quietly for a few minutes just write down. And, you know, I mean, if something from further ago than a year comes to mind, that's fine. Just write that down too. The point is we're trying to just remember God's faithfulness to us and God's 
God's protection and provision for us. So let's just take a few minutes to do that. Okay, well, as everyone just um, finishes doing that, what we're going to do now is we're actually going to go into breakout rooms just for a few minutes. And what we're going to do in those breakout rooms is we're just going to share one or two things from your list of the ways that God has protected you and provided for you and, and cared for you. Um, so I will put us into those breakout rooms while everyone finishes off. And then after that, we're, we're coming back together because there's, there's more stuff. But we're not doing breakout rooms at the end. They're happening here today. All right, I think we've got everybody back. So I'm um, now, as with all of these festivals, there is so much symbolism in, in them that points or that Jesus fulfills. And so I'm going to hand over to Claire now. And if everyone can mute themselves again, Claire is going to just share with us um, some things that the Jewish people used to do specifically at the Feast of Tabernacles and some cool stuff about how they that relates to Jesus. Yeah, so well there were there were a lot of rituals and one of the most significant ones was called the rejoicing at the place of the water drawing or Simchat Beit Hashoava. And what that meant was that um, every morning the people would gather and the priests would um, form this procession that went down to the pool of Siloam with this big beautiful golden flask. And they would um, draw symbolically draw the water up out of the pool. And while they were doing that, they would recite um, a scripture from Isaiah 12, which is, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then they would carry that back up to the temple and then very ceremonially pour it out over the altar. And then in that rabbinic way of people asking questions and being answered. If anybody asked the question, why is the ritual called the drawing out of water? Then they would be told that it was because of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which was considered to be the true source of life and the water was symbolic of that. The people would continue to gather and there would be rejoicing, there would be music playing, there would be a time of praise. And then there would be a little period of reflection, then a blessing, and then everybody would go back for the day to um, be with their family, go and sit under their Sukkot, rest, celebrate, do their thing until the next day. And this was a really long festival. On the last day, it was called um, Hoshana Rabbah, or the Day of Great Praise, and it's like the the pinnacle of the celebration. And that's the day that we hear about in John 7 when it says um, Jesus was in Jerusalem for the feast and it was the last and greatest day of the festival. And with all of this background, Jesus does something really disruptive. So everybody is um, is gathered and they're going through a, like a ceremony that's quite predictable that you have grown up with year after year. You know what's going to be expected. And then Jesus kind of does something that nobody expects and kind of I imagine that he waits for a quiet moment, you know, maybe as the water's being poured out and he stands up and says in a really loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. 
By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So he's saying this thing that you've been waiting for, I'm here to fulfill it. I am the source of living water. I'm the true source of living water. And that was very polarising. But it was interesting when I was reading that and reflecting, I was thinking that the only condition of coming that Jesus talks about is thirst. You just have to have an acknowledged need. He said, if you're thirsty, come. So if you can recognise a thirst in your life as something that has not been fulfilled despite all of your attempts, then come to Jesus and drink. And to drink, you have to receive that life into you. You don't need to be afraid that you're not going to pass a test or that the tap's going to be suddenly turned off or you're going to be turned away. Just come and drink. You'll be able to. And as you believe in Jesus, as you acknowledge him as the true source of life and you join your life to his and you trust in him, then he says that he will come in the form of his spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. And that will be deposited within you. It will live within you and it will water your life continually. And not only will it water your life, but it says it will flow. And for water to flow, it needs somewhere to go. So he's saying it's not, you won't be able to contain it within you. It will flow forth if you let it. And it will water all the lives of the people around you. It will hit every place that is dry and desperate and start bringing new life and growth and things that look dead will start to come back to life again. So that is the water ritual. And then we have another little one called the illumination of the temple, which was when the priests would light up these huge, I mean, really enormous candelabra in the um, courtyard of the temple. There were four of them and it was said that the light was so bright that it could penetrate every courtyard of Jerusalem. And it was a, a throwback to um, the, the pillar of fire um, in the wilderness, um, but also a reference to God's glory in the temple. And they used another Isaiah scripture, another Messianic scripture, which we all know, which is the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land the light will shine on them. So we have Jesus claiming not only to be the living water and the true source of water and life, but also the true light. And in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, and as I was thinking about this light penetrating every courtyard in every area, I was thinking about the power of this light and how it's not only strong enough to be able to light up all the corners of our own heart and our own life and light up every place where we're confused, every place where we're deceived, um, every place where we're in despair and darkness, but it's also strong enough to light up every relationship that we have. It's strong enough to light up um, our past and bring truth and redemption to it. It's enough to light up our future and show us a way that we can move forward because you really, and you're in the darkness, you're fumbling and groping around, tripping over things, but the light lets you see, it gives you fresh vision, vision of God, vision of yourself, vision of what you're doing. Um, and even more than that, that this kind of light lights up every 
what potentially can light up every political office, every kind of government structure, every industry, um, really ultimately every every nation and culture. Um, that's what we're actually talking about here, which is um, an extraordinarily beautiful and powerful thing. So that that is Jesus. <laughs> Fulfilling Feast of Tabernacles. <laughs> Yeah. Um, another another really beautiful thing is you probably be familiar with the scripture at the beginning of one John, which says, "The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us." And the word it actually used is the word to tabernacle. So it says, "The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us." So it's also this idea of God coming, just as we're dwelling in these these little tabernacles, these little shelters, God coming. And, um, and dwelling among his people as Jesus. Um, so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to go into a time of worship that Alina's going to lead us in, just a time to, to be thankful to God and to, um, to pour out our hearts to him and, and to lift our eyes to him above all the stuff going on in our lives uh, and remember who he is and what our story in him is. So let's, let's pray.